I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. My favorite quotes from Juliet Funk. This one and only day in my one and only life, do I want to look at fear or do I want to shine a light? In this one and only day in this one and only life, do I want to spend it criticizing or creating? In this one and only day in this one and only life, do I want to spend it being frustrated or getting educated? In this one and only day, this one and only life, do I want to spend it as a person of distrust or trust? In this one and only day, this one and only life, do I want to spend it dividing or reconciling? In this one and only day of this one and only life, do I want to spend it indifferent or compassionate? You're faced with that every day in this one and only day of this one and only life. We choose either by default or really thinking it out. But we choose. What if you knew there was a moment coming where your story, verbal or nonverbal, Determine the course of yours or someone else's momentum for eternity. It's coming. What if you knew it was coming? How would you prepare for it? What would it be worth to you if you knew it was coming? How would you identify it? Often we don't know until it's past, do we? Often we don't even know. To lead someone to Christ, if you knew that time was coming, how would you prepare yourself? Would it be worth a preparation? What would be the value you would put on that preparation for that to happen? Great theologians and preachers, way greater than I could ever even think about, let alone be, have talked about leading people to Christ. Evangelism Explosion, how many of you know about Evangelism Explosion? Yeah, you, many of you who are my age know about that. Dr. James Kennedy brought that, and uh, I, people used to go Tuesday night calling or Wednesday night calling or Thursday night calling, whatever it would be, and they'd knock on people's doors and you know, I had it happen to me when I was lost as a goose and, and in an apartment. I had some guys sit down and I just like, man, I got to go play basketball. I don't have time for this. I got a basketball league to be at, but I gave them some time. But they just cold call and they would go through the, through the deal. Problem is back 25, 30, 40 years ago, like when I was at, people, most people, and I've shared this, I think, in Uncommon, we talk about the fact that people... 
if you knocked on somebody's door, there's a chance that if people from zero to 10, and 10 being accepting Christ in their, as their Savior, most people were at an eight. All you had to do was bump them to Jesus. <laughs> That's the way to say it. That sounds. But nowadays, most people are at a three or a four. So it's going to take more than a bump if they're at a three or a four in knowledge of who Jesus is. There were other ones, uh, I mean, uh, Kirk Cameron and Ray Comfort do one. You know, they have one uh, called The Way of the Master. Uh, Roman Road to Salvation, that's the one I was on when I got, gave my life to Christ. They made sure I understood the Roman Road. And uh, Four Spiritual Laws, of course, by Bill Bright. So there's a lot of things. You could Google it. Matter of fact, nowadays you can have done that 40 years ago. Today you can Google it and just go, how do I lead people to Jesus? That's not what we're going to do today. Okay, you can do all that, and those are good things, so I'm not knocking any of those. But I want to talk to you a little bit today in our series on mercy, and if I was going to title it today, it would be just simply this, a sermon scene. A sermon scene. A sermon heard is soon forgotten. If I ask you today what I preached on last week, most of you don't know, I don't even really remember But a sermon seen, a sermon heard is soon forgotten. But a sermon seen, maybe never forgotten. But a sermon seen. Second Peter is one of my favorites. Second Peter 1, 1 through 4 says, Simon Peter, servant apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus have received a faith as precious I love that word, as precious as ours. You ever think about your faith as just, it's just precious. As precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him. Now, remember Dallas Willard says, Scripture never uses the word knowledge just for intellectual. It always, every time the word knowledge is used in Scripture, it's experiential. So when you hear that, don't hear it about, I know about God, I know about Jesus, I know about, no, it's experiential. You know him. He knows you. So his divine power that's given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge, our experience of him who have called us, by his, called us by his own glory and goodness. Through this, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Promises. There are so many divine promises, man, alive. There are some promises that are in Scripture that are conditional, and there are some that are unconditional. Some that are conditional dependent on the person who is looking at the promise. <laughs> did, did they fulfill what the promise, in order for that promise to unfold, did they fulfill that? It wasn't that God wasn't trustworthy. It's just that the participant or the person who was looking at it didn't fulfill And so often, if 
for many of us in our, who've walked with Christ a long time or those who are just now trying to figure this thing out, or maybe you're not even trying to figure it out. When you think of God being trustworthy, sometimes that seems a little sketchy to you because you see what goes on in the world, you see things happening, and you go, okay, I don't, I don't know if I trust all that. How could all that happen if, that's, if he's trustworthy? Well, that's a different sermon. I'm not going to go neck deep in that, but that is a powerful one to consider. But what I want to share with you today is more our role in this. If we've said a hundred times over the years, I know I've maybe 10 to 15 here, God's plan to reach the world besides the power of the Holy Spirit wooing is through us. And as I've said, it seems like a terrible plan, right? That doesn't make sense to use us as the plan. We've heard that. You've heard other people say that. We get it. It seems like a terrible plan, but he did do that. So here we are. So how do we go about doing that? We've talked about it over the last many, you know, last few months through our values. And of course, mercy is one of those, is one of our values. But transformation, God transforming your life, of course, is part of that. Being a part of a community is part of that, and you being a part of the greater community, you draw, asking people to come into the community, is so much a part of that. But so much of it is mercy and justice, and I just don't think we talk about it enough. The first thing I would say is, if I'm going to share my faith with someone is, and you, you, again, you can take these for what they're worth. But one of them is, is settled that not everyone believes like you believe. Have you ever been in a situation, especially in your faith, but maybe other things too, but politically maybe, or there's things in your culture, you can't believe other people believe different than you on that? There's nobody else in here thinks that. That you, you're so convinced of something that it shocks you that not, I'm not even talking about people that are, you don't even know. I'm talking about people you know. That they can think that. And if we're not careful when we get in that mode, especially when we're talking about spiritual things, not only can we pigeonhole them, we can also become superior for them. I'm never better but I'm often better off because I know Jesus is my Savior. I'm better off. I know that. But I'm never better. And I love John Acuff's conversation around the whole thought of soundtracks, this story we tell ourselves. The reality is, and I think about Jesus and mostly political, all those kind of things, Jane and I believe the same, but there's a, lot, there's a lot of things in our marriage we don't exactly believe the same on. But it's okay, because the major things we can't. And I don't look at it sometimes, and, and maybe it's part of the way we're wired, our personality, the things that are important to us, and it's not important to the other one, and we go, I can't really believe somebody doesn't think that's important. How is that not important to you? 
Anybody ever been there? I mean, I'm just, I, maybe I'm just talking about Jan and I. We just need to go personally and have counseling and not even talk it out here in public and not share it here. But you have to adjust along the way, and you've got to go, what are the most important things that we can't disagree on? But then, when it comes to our faith and walking and, and sharing it with someone else, often we're miles apart on the most important things. So what do you do with that? Well, I was reading this week and, and, and it's getting back to the fact that we never want to feel better than or superior than. But I was reading through my devotionals this week and just talking and just thinking it out in my own mind. One of the questions that I love to ask people is, and we talk about it in Uncommon, the first thing, if you're going on a trip, what's the first thing you need to know? Location, where you are. And what I love about that is, you know what the first question in Scripture is? First question. Let me read it for you if you don't know. Genesis 3, 8, and 9. Adam and Eve heard the sound of the Lord moving in the garden. And this is after the fall. At the time of the evening breeze, and the man and his wife themselves... The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out to the man and said to him, where are you? Jesus in John chapter 1. First question recorded of Jesus in John chapter 1. What do you want? Where are you? I think we all wrestle with that. Far away from God, interested, fully chasing after. Where am I? And what do I want? Of course, Jesus fully, eventually in John chapter 1 goes, Come and see. Doesn't he? Eh, come and see. Come and see. But giving people grace and just simply asking, again, not better than, but better off, yes. And just giving this precious grace that we've been given. Paul talks about it in First Timothy. He said, God poured out his grace like the Gatorade bath. He didn't just get a little sprinkle, a little just spit. It's an immersion. It's just being dunked in it. God poured out his grace on me, a blasphemer. Who am I? Except to carry this story and ask good questions and give this grace, as Paul said, whom I'm the chief of sinners, I've used this illustration often that if I had all the money in the world and today I went out and said, everywhere I'm going, I'm going to use the eyes that I've been given to see people who need money and I can, and Lord, and and I'd ask the Lord, show me how much they need and what they need it. And I said, what they need it for, but Lord, I want to give this money away. I want to give it away. I want to give it away. I want to help people. I want to give it away. 
First, you'd be very popular. But you would be helping people temporarily. You'll help. We want to give. We want to help, but temporarily. Endless supply of money. You give it away, it's replaced. But what if you had something more valuable? Oh, grace. What if you went about your day with the eyes of Christ, and your head up, and said, Lord, show me today this one day in my one and only life. How do I give this endless supply of something you've given me away? And Lord, this is what I know. As soon as I give it away, you replace it. So I'll never be able to give it away enough where I don't have any. I think it may even multiply on you, matter of fact. Where are you? What do you want? And do it with the sense of grace and posture that is so overwhelming that the fragrance or aroma of Christ is evident. Second thing I would say is, if they know you very well, live a life of, of trust, a life of keeping promises. You know, one of the things that I, 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 hear, I've heard, I hear it in society, I've heard it over the years in youth ministry, I've heard it in people in different situations, and I, and I hear it, and I go, I, okay, it's one of my favorite phrases to, to critique, I guess, and, and it's this. You have a circle, people have a circle of influence, people they're hanging out with, and what, I, and what they like to say is, I like being around these people because they don't expect anything from me. There's no expectations on me. Now, I realize that you, you, sometimes if you are in leadership especially or you're a person who's trying to help people, there are times that people are withdrawing from you all the time. I mean, it's constantly withdrawing and you need to get away and you don't want these people here necessarily to withdraw from you emotionally, spiritually. That's not what I'm talking about here. I cannot imagine being with a group of people, my family, my marriage, my, as a parent, as a, as a father, as a leader in the church, I, as a part of the community, even if I wasn't leading the church, I cannot imagine being with a group of people who didn't expect something from me. I want to live a life in such a way that they go, hey, hey, I know what you said publicly. I know what commitments you've made publicly. I've heard of it in private. I know what they are, and we expect you to live that out. We expect you to live that out. And we're going to hold you accountable for living that out. I cannot imagine living anywhere else. Some of you are going, is that what church is? I'm getting up and leaving right now. <laughs> I get that. But I cannot imagine living a life where people didn't expect something from me. And hopefully an expectation of honor. We talked about like being noble and good heart. Remember we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Can you imagine somebody saying about you, that person right there, Kurt Gentry or whoever, he is noble and of good heart. Can you imagine having that said about you because they trust you, because they expect something from you. They know they can count on you. 
sermon's seen may not ever be with words except a promise spoken, a commitment made, and you live it out every day. I annoy people. It's just a true statement, especially people close to me. Because I will repeat something three different ways if I think it's important enough. I'll say it this way, I'll say it this way, I'll ask a question, I'll say it again. Jan goes, Would you? I got it, I got it. But if it's important enough, it's at least worth saying twice. But the other part of that is, I want to make sure if I communicate it and it's important to our relationship, important to our movement as a, as a, as a team, it's important to all that, I'm going to say it enough ways because I'm going to try to keep my word. If you don't understand my word, it's hard for you to know whether I kept my word. My kids, as, as they were being raised in the home, I would repeat it to them and repeat it again and repeat it again and they'd get tired of hearing it obviously but part of it was I wanted to make sure when I had to keep my word and they weren't happy about it they knew what the word was. There was no they knew the consequences before we went into it. My, my, My older brother used to tell his kids he said you know you're free he said, he said, your curfew's 11 o'clock, but you're free to come in at 2 in the morning. Now, you won't have your car for six weeks, but you're free to do whatever you want to do. And he'd do it. Even when it's not to their benefit in some ways, people want to know you'll keep your word. None of us are perfect. I'm not saying, sometimes it's neglect, sometimes you just forget, sometimes it's accident. I get that. But as a life, as a person who really, I mean, marriages, let me say this about marriages. Are you ever going to make a, more, a greater public commitment than like baptism? Or are you going to make it like we did, a point right there because that's where we did baptism, just so those who were not here. Okay, I'm just not, there's not, I'm not pulling some of those ghost things right now. Okay, okay. Is there any more public promise than someone in a marriage ceremony making those kind of promises? I don't know that there is. Because the ripple effects of that are staggering. Trust is so underrated. It blows my mind how much trust is underrated and promises kept are underrated. We just move on. Next news cycle. Oh, I made that promise. Oh, yeah. Next news cycle. And I want to make this statement here and make it very clear about marriage in general. Marriage will always be what marriage was created to be, no matter what culture and society wants it to define it to be. It is what it is. But no marriage is ever just about the couple. 
No one gets married in a vacuum. It has a direct effect on your children, not only on your spouse. It has a direct effect on where you work, your employment. It has a effect on your friend group. It has a direct effect on our culture, how your marriage works. If the church did nothing else but have healthy marriages, we would change culture. If that's all we did, we didn't. We didn't. We only had to go share our faith and get out there on a blowhorn and help turn or burn. No, we don't have to do that. Just live awesome marriages that are full of grace. Would impact the culture. Live a life unexplainable apart from Christ. Live a sermon scene. I have no clue why these three things are converging in our, in, within a week of each other. But three of the most honorable people I know who have shared their faith of Christ in a week's time, seven days, are going to be honored in a unique way. Yesterday, Dr. Will Spate, his family's here. Dr. Will is one of my favorite people in the world, one of the kindest people I know. 91 years old, dropping his sermon off on Monday so he can preach it on Wednesday, passed away on Monday, but at 91 years old, he's still preaching the gospel. It's the gospel of grace. It's the gospel of not superiority, but of the fragrance and aroma of Christ. That was Dr. Will. This Friday night, a friend of mine 25 years ago passed away. He's been my friend a long time, but many of you know his, his son. Paul's promise coming out this Friday night. If you've got that slide up there. Coming out this Friday night, Dr. Paul, I mean, uh, Dr. Brother Paul Holderfield, Nazarene pastor. Not very many movies have been made about Nazarene pastors that I know of. That I know of. But that's coming out this Friday. I mean, the Paul's promise. But it was also his mom forcing him to make that promise. <laughs> and all I have to do to believe in the promise is look in the mirror because I see the promise, the impact the promise has had on my life and my children and many of your lives in here, and you never met him. But he's going to be honored 25 years after he's passed away in this movie. And many of you don't know, real quick, he started the first integrated church in the South, one of the first ones ever in the late 60s, from a bigoted, racist, alcoholic. God transformed his life. And the third one, I want them to stand, if they don't mind. Jimmy and Judy, would y'all stand? Jimmy and Judy Dale. Delbridge. Jimmy was inducted to the Coolidge Hall of Fame on Friday night. And those of you who know Jimmy, 
He has definitely been after people to know Jesus for the last 60-something years. Been an evangelist in the Church of the Nazarene. And I just want to tell you, you guys, and I want to say to you, Judy, not to you, Jimmy, and to the Polly Spades, and to the Barbara Holderfields. I know we're mentioning three men here. Without you three women, this doesn't happen. None of this happens. I mean, without Jesus, I get it, but we all know, we assume that. (laughs) But the impact these three families have had on the kingdom, we will not know until we get to heaven. But Jimmy and Judy, I just want to thank you. So glad you're in our lives and just appreciate you so much. Thank you. Sharing your story about Jesus. Having a passion and a desire and compelled, I would say all three would tell you, I can't help it. I can't help it. It just comes out of me. (laughs) I know many Christians are scared to share their faith and to witness and I get that. I, I, I've been there. I, I get a little skittish at times. And, and again, but I don't want to go to the extreme, like I said, and the blowhorn on the street corner either. But some of us feel like, I don't know if I could defend God like he's got some kind of weak case. You know, <laughs> Maybe they'll ask me a question I won't know the answer to, so I won't know how to help God here. So I don't know if I want to get in the middle of that kind of conversation. For others, it may be going, you know, my sermon, my, my testimony is kind of boring. So I don't know if I really, I have to say this first off, your testimony is not boring because you've been transformed. Don't put God in a box that he makes boring new creations because he does not. But the second thing is if you've got a boring testimony, borrow somebody else's. <laughs> not as your own. Right? But I, I get a thrill when I can share Brandon's testimony about what God has done. Or Gina and Kent, I get to share that. Uh, Bubba and Maggie, I get to share that. I, it's not my testimony in that sense, but I get to share those testimonies about what God has done. So if yours is too boring, okay, pray about it. I'd say that. There's a little thought here, and you can take this for what it's worth. Epic, the two words, ep, how they're pronounced, and you, you know, epic one is telling the story of great deeds. That's Jesus. If we have that slide up there, it is the epic, the epic story, the greater story, the big story of what Jesus has done. But then there's the epic, right? A period of time characterized by momentous events or change. That's you. So you've got an epic story to tell. It's just got two parts. It's the same coin, but two sides of it. One's about Jesus, and one's about what he's done in your life. There was a moment in time where I wasn't, now I am. If a person, if a person living far from God even had a tinge, a little bit of interest in this thing called Christianity, after hearing your story, 
Do they want to know more or commit to paganism? I guess that's kind of my question, okay? Just let me encourage you on a few things here. The reason I'm saying this. Learn how to tell your story. I realize the sermon seen is always going to be the thing that lasts. But sometimes you are going to be asked to share why. Why are you a Christian? Not what do you do. Oh, I go to church on Sunday. No, no, that's that's great. But why? Keep it brief. Be coherent. Don't have 16 plot lines. They kind of just pick a lane and go. Don't talk in code. What I mean by code is, there's some Christianese, if, you, if that's the best way to say it, I don't know, but whatever that is, maybe you just need to try to, maybe you need to write this thing down, work it out, flush it out a little bit and work on it and go, I could share this in three or four minutes about what God has done. Because what if there was a moment in front of you where your story, verbal or non-verbal, I get it, but verbal, let's say here. Someone, friend, stranger, you could change the trajectory of their life. One, is it worth it to you? On top of that, how would you prepare for it? Because in this one and only day, this one and only life. Do I want to look at fear or do I want to shine a light? This one and only day, this one and only life, do I want to spend it criticizing or creating, frustrated or educated, a person of distrust or trust, person dividing or reconciling in this one and only day in my one and only life do I want to spend it indifferent or compassionate in this one and only day of my one and only life would you stand with me ask the band to come up let me say this about Paul's promise as they're coming we are trying to Secure a theater to see that in at some point. It's a little trickier than we thought. So we will have to do an email blast somewhere along the way to help you on that so I don't have anything to put up here or, or promise you. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, so I don't have that today, but look for that this week. If you're interested in that, I think it'd be awesome to go together if it worked out. But if not, it is, it is being starting Friday shown across the valley. Thank you for everyone who emailed, sent in, made this happen. Okay, I don't know how many, some of you probably sent hundreds of emails, I don't know. But thank you. I see some of you smiling. Uh, but thank you for doing that. And, uh, and just talking to Brother Paul or texting him this week. And uh, exciting what God's doing. What God's doing. But as we close today, can we first sing Make Room? Then we'll go to the next. I don't mind doing both of them again. But let's do. That may be where some of you are. It is time to make room. You've cluttered up your life. You've jammed it full. You've not thought 
about making any major commitments or promises first to God with your life, then to others, they could hold you accountable. I don't mean in a bad accountability. I mean in a good one. And there really is that. Those, we sing the song, Make Room, today. You may want to come to these altars, and some already have, and we're so thankful in the church of Nazareth, we've kept these. It's a place to come. Just lay it down. But as you feel led, if you do, if not, just sing as an anthem, as a commitment to what he has done in your life. Lord, help us right now to be people that know that we're only really committed to what we have right in front of us, which is one and only day in our one and only life. Let us be found honoring you, hungering, thirsting after righteousness. And Lord, we know that because of that, we can bless others. Not only will we not be the same, but Lord, we may have a chance to make an effect for the difference of someone's eternity. Help us, Lord, to be those kind of people. We pray this in your name, Jesus. You come if you feel led.